Welcome to Black Body Health, the podcast. This is the show where we come together to talk about the intersection of our health and our culture. Podcasting from South Louisiana, this is Brittany Castine, preacher, pastor, political junkie, and now podcaster. And I am Ideal Ortiz, your co-host with Brittany, hailing from the Bull City and a longtime public health advocate. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Let's get started. Today, we're dealing with episode number 22, Black Women and Mental Health. Let's jump right on in. So, Brittany, you missed it. We had a bomb interview with Dr. Nadia Richardson. Y'all check Dr. Richardson out. Um, Her work with Black women in mental health under No More Martyrs. So she was our guest on episode 21. So you really missed a treat, Brittany. And so, but we 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 did definitely missed you. So where were you? First of all, I hate that I missed the conversation. Um, I've met Dr. Richardson. I have had a couple conversations with her, and I think that she is brilliant. Uh, and so I hate that I missed all of your collective brilliance uh, gelling together as we talk about Black health. But I was still on the job. You know, um, the last few weeks, several weeks, in fact, I've been working with members of the Congressional Black Caucus. So um, we've been doing some visits, hill visits, virtually to a number of members to check in on some matters that's important to us, including uh, the FDA regulation of menthol tobacco products, making sure that they seal the deal on that work and continue to do whatever they can to make sure that the FDA does their job. And then we also had conversations with Hill Viz- with members on the Hill about other things that may be a priority for the members that we as the center can help amplify using our collective voices uh, nationally and in the communities that we operate out of. And so, yeah, you know, I was still on the job. I hate that I missed it though. I hate that I missed the conversation. Yeah. Well, we really missed you and we're really glad that you had the opportunity to do all of that wonderful critical work that is meant to improve the well-being uh, of Black folks. So we thank you so much for that. Um, but yeah, Dr. Richardson had a juicy conversation with us and no sooner did we get off that phone call, but lots of stuff was going on in the news that told us we really need to keep our focus on this conversation about Black women and mental health. Um, As many of you know, the Olympics are currently underway and lots of news with Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles, both young, talented Black women in, you know, and who are, you know, among the best in their sport. And they're both walking away from certain things um, within their respective sports of tennis and gymnastics um, because they're citing a need to protect their mental health. And this is causing y'all quite a stir among people about their decision to do so. And particularly people on social media, right? And so I do, look, I love social media. I'm a social media junkie. It can be used to bring lots of joy, lots of laughter, um, connect with people, mobilize folks around issues that are important. 
But you know the flip side of social media is that we have all sorts of bullies. We have people that have absolutely no talent uh, trying to give commentary on somebody like Simone Biles. And I just want to say, you know, I'm, I'm going to imagine just for one moment that uh, Simone Biles is one of our faithful um, listeners to the Black Body Health, the podcast. And I'm going to say directly to Simone, you know, you owe no one any explanation whatsoever. And you know your body, you're in check with your mental health. And if you need a moment to reset, you take that, you know, and you owe us nothing. So, I mean, it, it's, it's really been ugly to watch. It's been interesting to watch, you know, and I've been sort of trying to follow the different uh, comments all across the spectrum. Some are feeling as though it is unpatriotic. Some people are feeling as though her actions are selfish. Um, others are agreeing that it's unfair that she's being held to some sort of standard um, that others may not even be held to and that she must uh, put the, her sanity, her mental health, her wellness, right? Uh-huh. On the line just to, you know, to, to participate in the Olympics. I just, I just don't, I think we're caught in this moment where we are starting to examine exactly what we think it means to be mentally tough and whether some of our ideas around that are appropriate. And there's an old school, an old guard way of thinking about it. And then there's this newer sort of paradigm that is emerging right now in this moment around trying to be as truthful as possible um, and that that truth, if it means for you that, that, that your truth is that you cannot keep taking it all on. You cannot do everything. You refuse to push at all costs, right? To keep pushing forward at all costs. And what is that all for anyway? That some folks are starting to examine that attitude um, as not necessarily a healthy attitude within competition, within life, within work. And that, and, and some of the old school sort of paradigm is, saying, wait a second, are are we all just going to become fuzzy, flimsy people with no rigor? And that really saddens me because the people that we're talking about have already displayed more toughness, more endurance, more commitment in their tiny pinkies than most people do in their whole bodies over a whole lifetime. And for us to critique them for naming a boundary, naming a limit, and saying, no, I will not sacrifice myself to complete permanent and lifelong injury so that I could get a prize. And for what? You can't, you're not in a position to evaluate me. Simone Bosby be doing it over there. She's like, you're not in a position to evaluate me. And she's absolutely right. I want to be clear. I can beat her in absolutely nothing. Okay. I, I can't beat her in anything. I can't yes. beat her in walking <laughs> to the road to check the mail, let alone, you know, in, in her domain of gymnastics, which it is widely known that even now she is the best competitor uh, all around in that particular sport, in that particular genre. And, you know, one of the things that I, I, I gather um, some inspiration from that action and even uh, consider some of the things and adjustments in my own life that I've been able to make I do, would you believe that for the first time, I'm knocking on 35 for the first Mm. time in my Mm. life, just last month, I told someone no, and I didn't give any reason why the answer was no. I did not kind of, you know, tiptoe around it. I said, no, 
And that was the answer, right? And so, so yeah. many times I'm just like, you know, it's because there's a lot of pressure to be available to people. There's a lot of pressure to be accessible to people. Relationships are um, so transactional now. Uh, people would rather be entertained by you um, regardless of what is going on in your own lives. And so, man, look, I applaud Simone. <laughs> She's a winner uh, in my eyes for sure. And, you know, if it was hard for you to say no, imagine how much, you know, because this is this is a conversation about Black women and mental health and the um, socialization of women in this country tends to be that you have to nurture and care for people without end, without a sense of boundary. And that if you don't, if you don't do everything for your kids, everything for your partner, everything for your work, that you're somehow selfish, um, that you're somehow not as much of a woman. And then you layer that, you know, with the intersectionality of race and gender. I can't imagine the kind of pressure that Black women feel, much like these athletes, these two, you know, highly esteemed Black women who also happen to be athletes, and I just, you know, I can't imagine at their level of competition, at their level of visibility, the pressure that they have to be all things, all people, to be a symbol, to be um, an inspiration, to operate highly, to pay for things, to get sponsorships, to stay in, you know, good training. There's just so much already. And it's, a, to me, it's a symbol of what Black women are expected Um to be like all the time, ever ready, constantly pushing, um, that our resilience is evergreen, no matter what. And I just, I find it all exhausting, quite frankly. And so the, you know, when, when women find the word no, when black women find the word no, and say, I don't owe you this, you're not entitled to my injuries, you're not entitled to my exhaustion, you're not entitled to my unhappiness so that I can serve you, so I can titillate you, so that you can First be entertained and inspired by me. That, you know, that just makes people angry in general. And so when I, I really, really caution, and you know, I'm not going to say it, but there's, there's some things I've noticed in common by the people who are commenting on social media. The, one, the comments that hurt me the most, you know, happen to be coming from Black men critiquing these women for not living up to some standard that they have somehow decided they're qualified to set as if they've walked a mile in those shoes. But anywho, I digress. The point is that I find myself really challenged because when other, when, when your niece, when your daughter, when your prospective partners or your current partner is looking at these comments online, I don't even want to know what they take away. I have a suspicion what they take away are the expectations for them. Because y'all, if Beyonce can't even be out of breath on a stage at Coachella after having kids and dancing for 45 minutes straight, there is no hope for the rest of us. And so I just want, I want folks to consider like what they are asking as a standard that we are, you, you are owed our injuries. You are owed our unhappiness. And for what? And even on a much smaller level, right, you know, I mean, even my presence, even the presence of 
of those ladies, those women, you know, I mean, we're gifted with that. And they are well within their right of cutting us off um, from the gift of their presence, from the gift of being uh, able to see them from, from that, that privilege, right? You know, and, and, but one thing, you know, I think that is true about no and, you know, saying the words no or um, saying I changed my mind or saying I no longer have availability, that is liberating. That is completely taking charge over your body, your mind, your spirit, your energy. It's taking charge over your own priorities. Um, you know, and I think that's really important. And as much as it may um, frustrate the sports industrial complex um, and all of those contracts and- I like that phrase. The, the you like that? Say that again, the sports yeah. industrial complex. The sports industrial complex. I know that that's frustrating to those folks because you know they're they're paying a premium to to as you say to be titillated and whatnot. But I mean, you know, I I sort of expect to see and I would like to see more um, athletes to be very honest and very open about where they are with their mental health, where they are with their struggles, because it serves as an um, not just an inspiration but an example for young girls, young boys all across this country to say, you know what, I am not okay, but I know what I need to do to be okay. And that's sit with myself. That's do yeah. nothing, you know? I yeah. mean, and, and that that's that's purely okay to do that. Yeah, I think that her, the, these women telling their truth and more black women, quite frankly, coming out and telling their truth about their limits, what they ain't gonna do, reclaiming their time, et cetera. I think that that helps us set all of us free. We all need, a level setting on the expectations of what we are doing to one another and what the society demands of each of us respectively. And so for me, like, I really am refreshed, quite frankly. Um, I feel a little relieved uh, to see these women doing that because when I think back, you know, I'm in my 40s now, when I think back to the Olympic Games I used to see in the 80s, and early 90s, and now knowing what we know, right, that these people were undergoing an intense amount of trauma and being abused uh, physically and sexually, right? I think that watching those games and seeing people sort of hearken to that history and saying, oh, we've lost our mental toughness. Remember how it used to be. If you go back and watch those tapes, it's disgusting, quite frankly. It's very unsettling to watch adults commanding children, world athletes, though they may be, they are children to do things that we know will permanently damage their bodies. And to do that in the name of a country supposedly winning some honor. And I don't know that there is any honorific award you could give me that is worth what those young people went through, which Simone Biles is a product of, that is, a, that is a, a deeply heavy mantle to bear and that we are doing that to children. I think she set an example, quite frankly, she owns a gym where she is training other athletes and she is trying to create an atmosphere there that is more um, appreciative of the needs of the mind and how that connects to the body. And I think it's important for her to have done what she did because I think that it is going to end up being a lightning rod to, 
to, to her students, quite frankly, and anyone who chooses to be under her tutelage to understand that she takes their humanity seriously. Well, a big, huge, a big, huge shout out to Simone Biles for her strength, her courage, her wisdom, the gift of just her personhood that she offers to the world, her major athleticism. Big shout out to her. And yeah, we're certainly and if you're proud a black woman, yeah, and if you're a black woman who needs mental health resources and wants to be connected to that conversation, please check out, like we said, our former guest information, Dr. Nadia Richardson's No More Martyrs. Check that out. Also, clearly at this time, as we switch lanes, we are in the middle of another surge with COVID-19. And, you know, everybody knows by now I'm in Louisiana. Louisiana is dead last with respect yeah. to immunizations. Um, you know, we are struggling. Hospital beds are, are filling up very yeah. quickly. We're but August... That- that, that nurses are opening up, they're talking about opening up all the COVID units. And so, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty tough. But August is National Immunization Awareness Month. Um, mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. uh, we also wanna take this opportunity if there happens to be anybody out there who is listening, who has not um, yet taken the COVID-19 vaccine, if you would go ahead on and get a, get a strong look at it, do your yeah. research, talk with your medical professionals, ask yeah. questions of any family members or friends who have taken the shot. Um, and maybe, you know, they can share with you directly some of their experiences. Um, and so let's, let's, you know, let's make sure that we turn some of the heat down around vaccines and immunizations that have been around now for years and years and years and years have helped us to um, eradicate uh, by large uh, eradicate all sorts of deadly viruses that have ravaged previous generations of uh, humans. And so, you know, let's turn down some of the political rhetoric and look at what the science is. And the science is that uh, vaccines, immunizations are generally safe, generally helpful in reducing the spread of disease and death um, yeah. with certain viruses. And it's important to know that not getting vaccinated facilitates the ability of this virus to mutate. And when viruses mutate, they usually mutate so that they can be more effective at infecting people. (laughs) They mutate in a way to be more contagious and possibly more dangerous when they express themselves in those that they have infected. So a few little facts that you should know about this variant go around. It is much, much, much more contagious than other virus strains. In seeing an interview that a nurse did not too long ago, this nurse said, if you are unvaccinated, it's not a question of if, but when you get the Delta variant. And so I thought that was very compelling as a statement. I had never heard it put that way. Um, But Delta is spreading 50% faster than the strain that was originally circulating in the U.S., Um, unvaccinated people remain at the highest level of risk for this variant. Um, and they're thinking that because of how quickly it spreads, it can create hyperlocal outbreaks. Um, and that the best protection against that again is vaccination. There's still so much that we have to learn about this particular variant. Um, because, you know, it's, it's fairly new on the game, but they do feel that, um, the early studies that they've done on folks who have been vaccinated is that the vaccine does demonstrate protection against Delta and that you still will be able to 
for the most part, avoid being in the hospital if you are vaccinated. So even if you do get the Delta variant, you are not uh, as likely to die as someone who is unvaccinated. Um, so those are some really important things to know. Um, I myself am going back to masking up everywhere I go, inside, outside. Um, if I'm going to be outside with other people, and definitely always have never stopped wearing my mask inside, mostly because I want to signal solidarity with workers who don't have a choice about being where they are. And I want to make sure that those workers know that I care about them um, because they don't know who's vaccinated and who's not. And because this has become so politicized, I just, I just want them to feel comfortable when I'm in the space with them. Well, I think you're certainly in good company. Um, I also try to do that, but the CDC just released some guidance this week to where they're taking another look at uh, masking requirements. Um, and so now the CDC has in effect um, reversed their previous decision that was issued in, um, in May of this year uh, where they were saying, oh yeah, if you are in spaces with people who are vaccinated indoors, you ought not have to wear your mask. Well, Delta is such a tough, you know, strain. This Delta variant is very, as ideal, as you mentioned just a moment ago, you know, highly contagious, highly transmissible. The good folks, the scientists at the CDC are now recommending that we mask up. And right. I think if we continue, if we just take a moment to go back to some of the things that we did this time last year, practicing social distancing, wearing masks, uh, being hygiene conscious, washing your hands, sanitizing your hands, you know, all of those things. Uh, I think that's gonna help us go a long way in reducing the spread of COVID-19, particularly when we look at the fact that hospitalizations are up, infection rates are up. Absolutely. You know, it's a, it is a complete and utter mess. And, uh, you know, the CDC, I think, has gotten it right here. It doesn't matter that to some, it seems like they don't know where they want to land. That doesn't matter. I feel like they're following the science and so should we. And you know, the best thing I can tell folks is if we want to stop more scary variants from occurring, we need to get vaccinated at this juncture. I know that I have not checked the label of every little thing I put on my body, like my hair, my, my, my detangling cream in my hair and, um, you know, the laundry detergent that I put on my clothes and then the clothes go on my body and the, you know, whatever goes against your skin ends up in your bloodstream. And yet I find myself relatively okay. <laughs> and so I was really happy to get the vaccine. I got both my shots. Um, I got the Moderna shot and, um, you know, I felt a little under the weather, the day after the shot, but after about 24 hours, that sensation broke. I did the recommended sort of moving around of my arm where the shot went in just to uh, keep the um, muscles from getting too stiff. And I found myself pretty okay. I took the shot on a Friday, knowing that I was going to give up that Saturday to watching a lot of reckless television and, you know, nonsense stuff <laughs> and just kept my liquids and snacks nearby so that I could just be my little sad, <laughs> slow sell for a day. And then I was right back at it and feeling a lot, you know, speaking of mental health, feeling a lot less anxious about my vulnerability to this, um, to this virus. So y'all just, let's, whew. if you yeah. want to know more about the vaccine, the American Lung Association and the Center for Black Health and Equity did partner up 
to create a COVID-19 vaccine toolkit. You can go to the American Lung Association's website to download the toolkit yourself. If you've got questions about how the vaccine was developed, who it was tested on, what the various ins and outs of that process were, I welcome you to look at that toolkit about how um, we got to where we are with this particular medicine for us to have to help combat this virus. Yeah, and then, you know, of course, one of the things that we know rings true all across the, um, uh, some public health matters, right? You know, that African-American communities, black communities are often hit uh, disproportionately, disproportionately affected by those things. And so there are recent reports that indicate that black communities are seeing higher infection rates. And, uh, and so, it, you know, the question becomes, are we, um, embracing the vaccine at lower uh, rates than our white counterparts? Is it ideal, similar to what you said? Are we working, are black folks more likely, more prone to be working in places where, you know, uh, uh, service industry or places where unmasked people are frequenting and uh, by default, they're being more exposed to the virus, you know, are we not wearing our masks? It's a whole bunch of stuff out there, uh, but I certainly want my folks, my, uh, my black folks, my kings, my queens, you know, to, uh, to do whatever it is that you can do on your part to be safe. Um, that's the number one goal here and, and be safe, wear your mask, uh, get that vaccine, take a look at that vaccine, um, get smart on all of the issues and do what you can do to protect yourself and your family in this critical time. Well, another thing that's in the news now is, y'all, it's not all gloom and doom out here. PrEP, the HIV prevention pill, is now totally free under almost all insurance plans. And wow. that is huge for it the is. national HIV prevention efforts underway. It is amazing that we are here. Um, but basically, Truvada or Discovy. I hope I'm saying that last one right. Um, those are two approved forms of PrEP. Um, they are now, which PrEP stands for <laughs> pre-exposure prophylaxis, okay? And so that uh, form of medicine to prevent the transmission of HIV um, is now available totally free, like I said, for almost all insured individuals. Um, a prescribing physician does have to persuade and ensure that Discovy in particular is necessary um, to qualify for zero cost sharing. But this is great because it basically means that those out-of-pocket fees for the medication will stop being charged to um, patients. Uh, mm -hmm. So this is hot off the press, right? And so uh, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, along with the Department of Labor, in the Department of the Treasury, um, just this past Monday, uh, the 20th, uh, it's indicated that insurers have 60 days to comply with this new uh, mandate. And so within 60 days, you know, we are expecting that insurers will fall in line and make sure. And so the, the, the rule in essence indicates that insurers cannot, you know, charge co-pays, they can't um, charge uh, those high deductibles for the visits and for the lab tests that are required to maintain the PrEP um, prescription. So this is, this is 
incredibly huge. Yes. This is, you know, this is a big news. Huge barrier. Money is a huge barrier. The cost of prescriptions is always a problem for low income patients. Heck for middle income patients because prescriptions can get pricey. So for this to um, be changed in this way is awesome. Basically, you know, PrEP is responsible for reducing women's risk of HIV by at least 90%. Um, and for, uh, I want to say it, the tablet reduces men's risk of contracting the virus from sex with other men by more than 99%. So these are just huge, huge, um, you know, results from these kinds of drugs that, you know, once you have such a breakthrough drug like this, that helps to combat the HIV epidemic, you know, it changes the game because you know that people won't have money as an excuse to get this. Now, obviously the barrier is if you do not have access to insurance, that's still a problem uh, in terms of an access point. But for folks who are insured, whether it is, you know, through Medicaid or other resources, you should be able to access this now once they are able to comply within 60 days, as they said, um, they'll be able to access it without any cost. So that's great. That's wonderful news. And I think now, you know, we're really trying to amplify this news, this very recent news, because it's important for people who are eligible for PrEP along with their providers that they're aware of these new requirements. And so, you know, I want as many people who are eligible um, to, uh, to utilize PrEP, to take PrEP, to be prescribed PrEP, uh, to know that you can start using it at no cost, um, you know, so let's do our part. And so if we are serious about ending the HIV epidemic, then we have to make sure that we're doing even more to have equal access to PrEP in all communities. Um, so that's insured, that's uninsured, right? This is a great first step that we can all be proud of but there's certainly more work to do to ultimately uh, turn the tide on this virus. I was gonna say, for those folks who do not know the cost of these particular medications, they range anywhere, depending on the brand and whether you're getting a generic form or not, they range from anywhere from $30 a month to $1,900 a month. And so that is not, whether it's $30 for a low-income family or $1,900, those aren't small numbers for people. That's real money. That's, that's real, real money. money. <laughs> yes, that's real freaking money. $30 is potentially your bus pass for the month. $30 is definitely groceries. $30 is potentially your access to your um, cell phone. $30 is a tank of gas. I mean, it's $30 is after school care for your child you know, as school begins, $30 is summer camp. It's a lot. $1,600 and $1,600 is completely unreachable by most people. Oh, absolutely. Let's be clear. <laughs> yes. So this is a game changer. We are so excited for this and we felt like we should share it with you too. So that if you are working with anyone in the community that this information pertains to, they can make sure to also celebrate and share. Well, I do. I think that today we have certainly covered a lot of ground. The one thing that I wanted to ask you, are you okay? How are you doing? I'm doing really great. I am spending more time outside in the sun. I'm making sure that I 
take um, a breather in between meetings so that I have an, a moment to get up from my chair and, you know, move my hips and move my legs and my arms that I'm drinking plenty of water, nice cool water in this heat. And, you know, the one thing I say I probably need to do better on is I need to get more sleep. I have not been getting as much sleep as I should. And so that one I'm still kind of working on. And what about you? How were you doing? Yeah. You know what? I've been trying to be way better at connecting with family and friends. I don't want to be that guy that is just so busy that by default, I've isolated myself from my loved ones, right? Yeah. Nobody's mad at anybody, you know, nobody's right. upset, but we're just so busy. And I've been making connecting and reconnecting to folks a huge priority. I've also been making, uh, just like you indicated, um, my uh, physical health a priority, trying to trying to eat better, trying to exercise a little bit more. And the biggest thing is trying to be a better manager of my time and my schedule, you know, uh, setting boundaries, identifying priorities, saying no, hell no, and never, uh, as it relates to some things on my schedule has been immensely helpful. And it appears to be the way that I'm going to move forward with my schedule and things going forward. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you today, Brittany. And yes. What a rich topic, Black women and mental health. This has been episode 22. Thank you so much for joining and listening with us. This has been Black Body Health, the podcast. My name is Ideal Ortiz, and this is... Brittany Castine. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. Well, that wraps up this episode of Black Body Health, the podcast. Until next time, this is your co-host, Brittany. And ideal. You have a great day. Thanks for tuning in.